correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello. And we're going to talk some RPG news, specifically this week. But before we get into that, let's talk about one of my favorite podcasts and yours, Eberron Renewed. Yes. Eberron Renewed is another podcast here on the D20 Radio Network, hosted by GM Eric, who we had on a long, long time ago, I believe back in episode single digits, actually. We need to have him back on, or at least some of that crew back on at some point, just because they're cool people. Yeah, agreed. But Eberron Renewed is an actual play podcast, and uh, their focus, as you might guess from the title, is the Eberron setting. Their first campaign was a uh, D&D 5e, and... Uh, Went all over Ebron, covered lots and lots and lots of cool stuff, and uh, that wrapped up uh, quite a while ago, and then they launched into their second campaign, where they converted to the Genesis Rules Engine, which they are still playing in, and let me look here real quick. They are currently up to episode 178, it is of the time of our recording. So yeah, they're, they're really cool people, very good show, definitely worth checking them out. And uh, we also got to meet them last year at Gamer Nation Con. Yes, we did. Uh, the majority of the Eberron Renewed crew. Yeah, Eric and Philip and Jeff got to talk booze with Jeff, which was fun. <laughs> but I bring that up because uh, a little birdie gave me the semi-confirmed dates, although it hasn't been officially announced yet for Gamer Nation Con 2024. Oh, good. I can book my hotel now. <laughs> <laughs> I have been, I, I cannot tell you how mad Autumn has been at me <laughs> because she's asked me every day for like the past two weeks, when is Gamer Nation gone? When is Gamer Nation gone? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> April 4th through the 7th, same place as last year. Yep. Dallas Games Marathon, Plano, Texas, which is just outside Dallas. Hell of a good time. Yeah, and I would keep an eye out because the rumor was is that they were partnering with a better hotel this year. So if you're looking to get in on the hotel block, you know, hold on until all that's announced. Yeah. But you said the 4th through the 7th. The 4th through the 7th, supposedly the Kickstarter is in the approval process with Kickstarter itself. So maybe by next episode we'll have something official we can shout out oh, good maybe we could have one of the the uh con organizers on to talk about that hey we could have a con organizer on to talk about their con what a novel concept i know <laughs> oh all right well yeah that's all of course put on by d20 network gamer nation studios you know all part of the the fun and excitement you can find at d20 radio.com and, and all that fun stuff and uh yeah, yeah that was a hell of a good time last year Oh, I can't wait. I am so excited. This year we are road tripping it, so it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I have to, to finalize things. I don't anticipate going on a road trip 
myself, but no, I, I think would very, very but... much like to come and, and, you know, hopefully that'll all happen. I got to double check a few things, but yeah, I, we, uh, Autumn, who doesn't really play a lot of tabletop games, she really had a good time last year, even just hanging out, seeing Texas and, and doing some of the Texas things. So I just want to go back to that Turkish place that was next door. I know. I know. It's that. And we're like so excited to go back for in and out. <laughs> and I do legitimately want to get some barbecue this year. Oh, I would have loved to last year. It was just like it, so much going on. It was like, oh, I know. And then I'm sorry, but that Turkish place next door is bleeping amazing. Oh, it's phenomenal. It is so good. I If you don't go to Gamer Nation Con, at least go to that Turkish place. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yes, whatever it's called, it's like right next door to Dallas Games Marathon in the little plaza there. Oh, and it's like single owner operated, and it's just so good. Uh-huh. Oh, I can't wait to go back there. Um, <laughs> I can't wait for gamer nation cotton i gotta get some stuff in order <laughs> oh you and me both you and me both because i'm sitting here looking at like like i gotta get my hands on adc and i gotta get my hands on a couple other things figure out how i'm tying all that into the theme because i want to do some themed games this year i had plenty of ideas like before we left last year and i haven't worked on any of them <laughs> yeah i, I feel a that. bit of a rut that way but that's a topic for another show. That's life. Yeah. Speaking of which, I want to extend uh, some condolences to everyone that lost their job today over at Hasbro and Watsy. Subsequently, a couple big names, a couple important people lost positions. And not saying that anybody that lost their job wasn't important there. I'm just saying that uh, the co-creator of 5th Edition, Mike Merles, was one of the people let go. Mm-hmm. Along with, um, you said the head of... D&D Beyond and a whole bunch of yeah, other there's people. Yeah, there's an article or a, a thread. Um, I'll try and remember to put a link in the show notes to some stuff that Russ Morrissey put up on N-World. But um, yeah, um, Amy Dallin, who was a D&D Beyond producer and host. Uh, let me find the Dave Hartless, who was apparently the D&D Beyond director. Um you know, a bunch of, you know, some people in the art department, some people from Magic the Gathering. A lot of them aren't names that I recognize, you know, community managers, um, you know, just various people in various parts of the company. And yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, look, it's the corporate world, it happens. And while we don't normally talk D&D or rpg news per se it it's kind of been the big thing it was all over our discord today and it's also kind of ties into some stuff that we've talked about in the last couple episodes so figured what the heck why not yeah this is crappy across the board this is this is and it it's a bad look on a lot of people it's a bad look on on well disney and hasbro and it's a bad look on Watsy, but even though it's it's I feel like this isn't Wizards of the Coast's doing per se. Like I don't feel like anybody at at Watsy was like, yeah, let's fire all these people. No, I have a feeling there was a memo passed down that said you need to eliminate this much salary. I feel that completely. I have my wild conspiracy theories and we can get into those. But uh all I'll say is that, you know, 
tax break season's really clear this year because uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has been just deleting things in the name of tax breaks. And I feel like, and I have no subsequent ground for this. I have no legal grounds for this. I have no knowledge behind the scenes. And I, I, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know the logistics of it. But I feel like this is some kind of tax break thing. Like they're trying to recoup some money that they quote unquote lost this year. And they didn't actually lose money. Or if they did, it was their own doing with all the BS they did earlier in the year. You know, messing with the OGL, messing with the community. Yeah. <sighs> well, and, and look, if the numbers that were floated around about D&D Beyond subscriptions being canceled in the whole OGL debacle, that was a significant hit if they stayed canceled. Yeah, because I don't think they stayed canceled. I really don't. I, I don't have any substantiated evidence on that either, but I feel like I feel like a lot of those people, well, not a lot, but I feel like there's a handful of people that canceled their D&D Beyond subscriptions to make a point. And then when Watsy rolled back on their OGL stuff and was like, oh, fine, you've complained enough, we'll go back on it. People were like, okay, well, I guess I can use D&D Beyond again. And I don't know. Well, I look at it this way, right? It, look, it, do I technically have a D&D Beyond account? I think I had a free one at one point. I haven't logged into it in so long. It probably just got wiped in a, you know, because I never actually used it. Yeah, I, I mean, I had it. I paid for it and used it for a while, but I quit that back before coronavirus because, or back before like the whole pandemic, because we like stopped playing and I was using other apps and. It... Yeah, but I think this, I think the thing around it, right, is, and I've said it before, you know, on the show, I say it in the Discord every now and then. I'll continue to say it. I just don't think that the corporate model works for RPGs. And as much griping and whining and complaining as we do about the indie and Wizards of the Coast on this show, I feel like it's important to state that, and, and I'm, I'll speak just for myself here, you can add what you'd like, while I have gripes and complaints with the game itself, much more of my ire is directed at the company and the way they handle themselves and the brand and the community. <laughs> I hold no, I hold no grudge. I, I, I welcome, honestly, anybody, if you're, if you were working at Watsi, you're working on something, you were let go, you want to come talk about it, hit us up. I gladly talk to any of the people that work there. Mm -hmm. Um, And for that matter, I hold no, I hold no qualms with, any of the developers, any of the writers, any of the playtester, any of the artists, nobody that makes their products are bad. Well, I can't say that they're not bad people, but nobody that makes their products have bad marks in my books just purely for working for that company. Now, yeah. what that company does outside of those people is disgusting and abhorrent and not to be you know, taken lightly. And it's simultaneously true that I think that company is horrible. I think that company is, is one of the worst in the business in both promoting unfeasible and unrealistic uh, tabletop RPG goals and, and stating things that are just factually wrong. 
I think it's, it's telling. I think it's, it's, you know, you said it and I completely agree. It's not the people in the company. It's the, it's the heads, it's the company, it's themselves, it's the shareholders, it's the people from the top down. And this is what we've heard consistently. I've heard from just various TikTok accounts and different people who are like, I worked at Watsi and here's what I can tell you. And, and hearing it consistently is that the top down management system sucks. And them trying to monetize everything, everything when it comes to D&D and D&D Beyond. And, and every little aspect of that game is, is astronomically unreal. Like it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, you know, and it's like, did they take a hit this year? Probably with all the PR debacles they've had. Sure. Who, who caused those PR debacles though? Well, that's just the thing. And like some of them, like, you know, we talked about the, the OGL stuff a bit, right? You know, but like yeah. there was so much of that that like it's, it it's a lot of... of some, and I'm just going to say accountant because that's what I'm going to say. I don't mean to throw any shade on the profession, but somebody looking at a spreadsheet and going, well, with this much of the market share, we should be able to get this much more money and blah, 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 blah. The, the statement that went around that still sticks in my craw is D&D is woefully under monetized. That is a terrifying statement to hear out of a shareholder. That's a terrifying statement to hear out of somebody that is has no idea how this hobby works, how this community works, uh, what, you know, what stands for what. And hello? and frustrating i'm still here I okay just, you you blinked out for a second or something yeah i was getting irritated with the blur it was driving oh. me crazy <laughs> <laughs> but anyways to hear that out of a a, a shareholder and, and to hear that statement come out of that room it was just like oh that says everything i need to know they're only worried about money which you could say watsi's always only ever been worried about money that may be true but the creators and the writers and the the artists and the you know layout people and Everybody that works on those books are not worried about it. Like there's a clear passion. Otherwise they wouldn't be in this industry. I'm sorry, but everybody we've talked to, and I, I know there's people that make it work and I know there's people that do it for a living, but almost everybody we've talked to that's a writer or created awesome things has a day job and will admit that there is not a ton of money to be made in the industry. No, I, and it's not me being like, oh, give up on your drink. No, I'm just saying that there it's not a overly monetized industry because it's a it's it's such a tight knit community. It's such a tight knit group that when people come in and start being greedy, everybody goes, Wait a minute, why are you being so greedy? Why are you well, acting like this? But I think too, it goes to, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about the, with uh Alan Barr from Gallant Knight. How just the indie, the indie side of the RPG scene, the games just feel so much more passionate. Well, yeah, and and I get that some of that is because part of that's because it hasn't passed through forty million hands. Right, right. Like, and I'm not saying that to qualm anything that Watsi puts out, but you got to think how many hands has this book passed through before it's made it to my table of just creative side stuff. Not to mention, you know, your your like, not to mention your like publishing side and all that. But yeah. just to think creatively, how many hands has this passed through? Because you have a head writer, you have a head editor, you have, you know, look at the. If I had one of my books on hand close by, you could pull up the 
um, credits or the um, not credits. They're not called credits. They're called. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The list of all the people that have worked on this book. Yeah. You know, it, you can look. There's at least 40 people per book. And <laughs> how do I want to say this, too? Okay. I'm probably going to piss some people off when I say this. And and some of them are people that I genuinely like and, and have met. But look at what has happened to FFG slash, slash Edge with the sale to Asmodee. Yeah. You know, and, and how that has been. And look, Sam Stewart is still the the head of the division, whatever. I've met Sam. He's an amazing person. Very, very passionate about RPGs. But look at the the hiccups, the, the everything that happened with all that. Oh, and yeah. what it's done to that, the Genesis line in particular. Well, look at where we're at now, where we can't even get physical copies of these books. We're just now catching up on on getting physical copies of old print media. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not anybody's fault that worked on those books. I'm not saying it's like, I'm not pointing blame at Sam or, or, you know, Jay Little or any of those people. But I am saying that, you know, we know that I agree with you that large, large companies have a really hard time with this hobby because it's such a tight knit community, I think. I, I don't and even... I don't think they understand how, like, I don't know. Everybody is, is at this point, like a keystroke away from anybody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially in the tabletop RPG community. Like, I just think too, it's, there's something different about specifically tabletop RPGs as opposed to board games, card games, etc. Right. Like with a board game, you're selling a product, right? You buy the game, you play the game. Can the game take multiple twist turns? Yes. Look, I'm not a big board game person, but I don't think I'm being inaccurate to say that in most board games, there is a finite number of outcomes. It may be an astronomically high number, but there is a specific, you know, this card comes out, then this card comes out. You know what I'm saying? There. No, I get where you're getting at. That there's, there's, it's, it's got a conclusion. It's got a, a definite end. An RPG is something that you make what you want out of it. Yeah, an RPG. It's almost more like a cookbook, right? But it's not a cookbook either. It's more like a cookbook that's got half the ingredients and says, okay, now you put the rest of your stuff in it. Yeah, exactly. And I think as you get deeper into the hobby, I think you end up adding more. And, and strangely, as you get deeper and start buying more and more books, I think in a way, the less and less you actually use them in a lot of cases, you know, like, or use them as, as, a, as a direct recipe. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I guess there's a better way to say that. I know I have at least five or six books that I've bought 100% planning on stripping the system out of it and playing with the world. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's why I've become a bigger fan of just pure setting books. Like, this is system agnostic. Here's just my setting that I wrote. Like, cool, thanks. That's what I need. But 
that's neither here nor there in this conversation. Yeah. Um, no, go ahead. But I think, yeah, it, it's, it's, and I think what, what you see though, and okay. And let's just look at Paisa though. Okay. Paisa's pretty darn big. You know, they, they're clearly the, the second biggest player in the game, but I think the difference is, and, and maybe a little bit less so now that I believe Lisa Stevens retired, but yes, it's a corporation, but it's still run and controlled by gamer people. Yeah, Paizo, Paizo's weird in that they don't like, they haven't lost their way completely. They've done, and granted, everybody does some mistakes. Everybody has missteps. Mm-hmm. But Paizo hasn't, like, they understand that they're a gaming company and they make games for people to enjoy. Mm-hmm. They're not a multimedia conglomerate that's trying to make entertainment for people to consume. And and I think that's the difference is that Hasbro has always been we're a multimedia entertainment company. We make the Hasbro has always been the scummiest of of scummy companies going all the way back to their start, going all the way back to what they got good at, which was making tie in cartoons for crappy toys. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, it's how the Transformers it, happened. Transformers is a little different case because Transformers started in Japan, but well, that's but a different beast. It's still that's kind of how that all happened. Yeah, I'm more so talking about like I don't know, like the the uh, He-Man figures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a Transformer does something in a way. He-Man is just there in a lot of ways. Like those old original He-Man figures come at me. I don't care. I've handled them. I played with them. I don't care. The old original He-Man figures were just sort of barely posable dudes. Yeah. <laughs> Hunks of plastic that they could crap out along with a, a TV show that cost them $10 an episode to make. <laughs> I, it's the truth. <sighs> and that's not saying that there isn't love for that. And there's not, not saying that any of those things were bad, but Hasbro has always been a, a sort of scummy company. That's there to take your money. Well, look, that is on some level the job of any company, right? The company I work for is a giant conglomerate, right? We make lots of different things, and the particular sector I work in affects a lot of people in the world. But at the same point, I think it's more that, like I said, I just don't feel that RPGs fit the corporate outlook on things, right? Like, you know, I think if, if we could get, you know, say Shane Hennessy from Pinnacle on or, or someone like that or um, Chris Primus from Green Ronin, mm-hmm. I think for those people, there's still an element of, well, yes, they're, they want to make money and turn a profit. There's also still a very strong element of look at the fun we can help people have. And that non-monetary reward is i think a big driving factor where when you get to a hasbro or an asmodee or or whatever right where there's that many more layers it's all about keeping the shareholders happy and the shareholders yes, yes i agree. largely don't care about anything but numbers profit right how many more millions of dollars did this make me this week if it didn't, then we have problems. And and yeah, I understand where you're coming from with that. And they are gamers. And 
and yeah, that's that's part of that too. I think the mistake, I think I think there is a happy balance. I think there's a possibility to also to be a profitable tabletop RPG company and also not be profit driven shitbags. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Like does yeah. that make sense? I think there's 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 a happy middle that you can aim towards that that Watsy's just losing their mind on this. They well the, the problem is is that again, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. The problem is is that they're too big for their own good. If it was just Watsy, like it was when Peter Atkinson owned it. Right. What, 10 years ago at this point? Back before fifth edition? Right. Yeah, I don't when it, recall the dates, but yeah. Yeah, whatever. You know, dates. <laughs> they're they're numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back when it was just Watsy, I think I think, you know, they had a better grasp on we make because when it was just Watsy, they were like, Oh, well, we make Magic the Gathering and we make Dungeons and Dragons and a handful of other things in between. But we make games. And they still had the scope of we make games for people to have fun with. And mm-hmm. when they when they started getting eaten up by Hasbro, and then Hasbro got eaten up by Disney, it's this whole, you know, now it's a now it's a a corporation. Now it's a a a, a massive industry. Now it's a it's all these things that it never was before, and it still really isn't. The fact of the matter is, is that as 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 majorly popular as D and D is, and as tabletop RPGs have become, and as as good as the past couple years have been for this industry, it's still a relatively relatively small community, all things considered. Yeah, and I think, and I and I saw, and I wish I remember who wrote it so I could properly set it, whatever, so I could properly credit them. But the other thing about this has the Dungeons and Dragons brand just absolutely exploded in the last say 10 years. Yes, it has. It absolutely has. It's become its own kind of cultural icon. I mean, it's ubiquitous. When you talk to somebody about tabletop RPGs that doesn't know anything about this, it's kind of like talking about facial tissue, right? Nobody calls it facial tissue. We all call it Kleenex. We know exactly what you're talking about. When right, you tell right. somebody, what was that? No, you're exactly right. When you tell somebody, I play D or I play tabletop RPGs, they go, oh, what's that? Well, it's like D&D. Right, and immediately but... they know what D&D is. They, they have a reference. Sometimes you have to say it's like Dungeons and Dragons and they understand. They they have they knew somebody at some point in their life that maybe played it one time, right? Mm-hmm. Like some everybody knows one person. You know, I went to college, my roommate played it, or I I played it a little bit back in high school, or you know, my so and so. You know, it's everybody knows somebody that's played or knows of Dungeons and Dragons, and it's it's the Kleenex issue. <laughs> I think too, right? So you have this confluence of things. We've got the rise of critical role and stranger things and and all the the streaming and i think some of this too is okay you have the people we'll call it my generation and and a little bit older that were introduced to this as kids and dealt with the stigma that was associated you know the nerds blah 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 well we all grew up right and 
we have fond, you know, all of us, regardless of age, we have fond memories of things we did as a child. Well, the thing about RPGs is you don't really outgrow them. You Not know, particularly. I've I've described tabletop RPGs before, and I will again, as it's cops and robbers for adults. Oh, it is. It is <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's it's playing pretend. It's it's you know imaginary friends and and like yeah, it's that escapist that we're all trying to get to. It's just how you know some people play video games and and I the realization. I think it's funny. The internet had a realization earlier this year, or at least a certain subsect of the internet had this realization earlier this year, that some people, when you say the word Apple, cannot in their mind conjure the image of an Apple, okay? Mm -hmm. And some people, when you say the word Apple, immediately conjure an image of an Apple. And the realization, you know, it's it's some people that can't, I don't want to say can't, but the the for the people that don't have the ability to do that they may play more video games and they default into that space of of being able to get involved in a video game because they can visualize what's on screen and see what's happening and a lot of people that can visualize an apple are into tabletop rpgs because they don't necessarily need a screen to tell them visually what's happening they just need the auditory input right mhm and so we see this and, and the internet explodes and I'm like, well, but we've sort of known this, well, but it, it, it's just, I don't know where I was going with that metaphor, but. Well, no, you're, you're onto a couple things though. Like one, also the rise of internet and the advances in technology to allow virtual tabletops, because, you know, when we mentioned this, when we were talking with Alex a couple episodes ago, how. There's a lot of people now who play with a virtual tabletop in person. Oh, yeah. To display map because it is a convenient tool. As much as I don't get along with technology, it's me and I have weird issues with things. And Steve and I could talk about that for hours. But that has facilitated, you know, some things that are more difficult for people who, who you know, don't see the picture of an apple in their head when you say the word. Right. Right. It's there's that. And I think, and maybe this has been discussed elsewhere, but I think there's an important element of the critical role success that may have been overlooked. And that's the actors themselves. Oh yeah. Be, and and I, I'm not actually talking about their acting abilities. Yes. That makes for it to be a much more entertaining product. But I think what you have is, you know, so many of them, got their start in anime dubs or voicing the American, you know, the, the English translations of, you know, originally Japanese cartoons, whatever. Well, at least in my experience, that stuff has always been very popular with the RPG crowd. Now, I think what happened is you had this kind of weird confluence of, oh, these people who like, who, who do this thing I like are also doing this other thing I like. And it, it, it just kind of like snowballed because you had the people who were coming because they were fans of, you know, Travis Willingham's work in uh, full metal alchemist right? or, you know, Laura Bailey Allison Jaffe. or yeah, right. Even Matt Mercer being Matt Mercer, like, right. Like it, it just kind of, 
And then from there, you know, well, you have... and then think back to the start of Critical Role. They had Will freaking Wheaton on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Will yeah, Wheaton, I... one of the best, one of the arguably best writers in television. One of the, you know, a, a, a very important person was sitting down and playing D&D with these goobers. And that was that was like what kicked Critical Role and got it rolling down the hill. And now it's, yeah, now it's got their own cult of personality and they're bigger than big and, you know, it's whatever. But yeah, I, but I think that combined with the people who played it back in, back when, you know, back when I was a kid, whatever, that stigma of, oh, you know, be it the satanic panic, whatever, that's just not a thing anymore. And it's also, I think there, there comes and okay. I wonder too, how many people you know, they heard about Critical Role and they went, you know, to their, their kids or their, you know, nephews or whatever and went, hey, yeah, I used to play that game those people are playing. And so it, it like kind of that, oh, it's an okay thing, you know, just it's okay to like it now. And yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> it's, it's like, it just, it's like this kind of perfect confluence of factors. And yes, Wizards of the Coast has benefited massively from that. And, but I think, you know, it, it goes back to, to Ryan Dancy talking about that network externality. And let me see if I can look that up and see how he defined that just because. Okay. Yeah. It's basically an economics concept that kind of says that the demand for a product is dependent on the demand of others buying the product. You know, it's kind of like a telephone. If you're the only person that you know with a telephone, it's not worth a damn thing. But if you're the only person you don't know who has a telephone, you need a telephone. Right. You know what I mean? And and I don't think it's not about, I don't think the rise of D&D is as much about the game itself as it is this weird confluence of nostalgia and escapism and man, that was fun. I want to do it again. And I think because Hasbro is a toy company and they're used to, what do you want to say? This toy gets popular and then it ebbs off, but you're still at that point, you're buying a toy. You're buying a figure. You're buying a hungry, hungry hippos. I don't even know if that was a Hasbro game, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I, I it's not the same. It's, it's not, I get it. I, I don't know. We could, and, and I know we could sit here until we're blue in the face about this whole situation. I, I know we could. Uh, I mean, I just think it's, it's, what is it? You know, it, it's basically, it's, it's the friends you made along the way that make it such a great hobby. Right. It's not necessarily the game itself. And I don't think that translates well between the producers and the shareholders. And I think no, I don't think it does either. The, you're seeing the 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 ripples of that is is effectively what's caused this, you know, layoff. And it sucks for the the, the people who who loved making games that now don't have their job making games anymore. Yeah, and that's terrible, I, especially I, I, this time of year. Yeah, dude, it's it's literally two weeks before Christmas. Hmm. <sighs> Not saying that there's ever a good time to lay somebody off, but how do you? How do you lay somebody off two weeks before Christmas? Yeah, seriously. How how do you, uh, you know, I I guess it's the end of the fiscal quarter. 
It's such a heartless thing. It's such a heartless thing. Oh, go to your families and uh, now worry about all the money that you spent. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I don't know. It is what I, it is. I, I genuinely feel bad for these people. Like, I genuinely feel bad for, for a lot of them. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Well, look, you know, it, it sucks when you all of a sudden don't have a job anymore. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been fortunate. I haven't been there in a while, but I have been there. I've, I've been through that a little bit. It, but yeah, so that's, um, I don't know. Is, is that our rant on? <laughs> I guess. Whatever. Um, the, the ampersand I, elephant. Yeah, I think that's that's the rant on the elephant in the room. Do we have any lighter news in the tabletop RPG space? Um, Artosaurian just announced a new game. Yes, they did. They've been teasing it for a minute. I forget what it's called, though. Let me bring that up, because uh, I'll just go to their Twitter account. Because I know they, uh, Jay Gray is no longer their head of PR, community relations, whatever. It's a new guy. But I'll have to get in touch with him and uh, maybe see if we can get someone on to talk about that or any amount of the other cool stuff that they do. Yeah. Uh, uh, Shadow Scar is their new project. Yeah. Looks really cool. Looks really neat. Cody Bonds a new system too. What was that? I believe it's a brand new system too. Uh yes. I believe so. Cody Pondsmith. So cool stuff coming out of Artel. Just very, very neat. I, I man, I'm down for anything they make. I really am. They could make new Mechton Zeta and I wouldn't care. Like I would be like, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a company that I just genuinely, genuinely love their products. And they're like, Mike Bondsmith's a cool dude, so. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when we were talking, and I didn't bring it up then, but, you know, when we were talking with Alex, he was talking, you know, when we've talked about all the missteps, you know, Wizards has made or, or how they treat local game stores. Well, I've mentioned this on the show before, but when Cyberpunk Red dropped, they were very open about announcing that if you ordered the book direct from them on their website, you did not get a free PDF, which on a gut reaction, you're going, well, that's kind of crappy. But what they announced at the same time was that as long as you went to any of your local retailers that participated in the bits and motor program and bought the book there, you would get a free PDF, which I thought was a really cool way to in a sense, say thank you to all those game shops for carrying their products, for supporting the hobby as a whole, and understanding that the health of the hobby is good for everyone, not just them. Yeah, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You know, rising tide lifts all boats, or whatever the saying goes. <laughs> we we both, we use different analogies for the same thing. Yes. But no, I completely agree. I think I think that's an awesome thing to do. And I, I, I know it was a little crappy that you were like, oh, I bought it online and I didn't get the... That's too bad. That's too bad. You know what you did get if you bought it online? You got a little bit of a discount. I can guarantee that. You know what I mean? I honestly didn't look. I, I went and went, okay, so I'll go buy it from, in my case, Phil. Yeah, one of the handful of purveyors that I know I'm going to go and support. Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, a handful of people that I know directly that I'm going to go and be like, hey, I want this book. And they're going to be like, okay, I have a copy right here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, 
as much as we bitched about wizards and, and whatever, look, the people there and the people on the D&D production team, I think probably love the game as much as pretty much any other creator. Well, I just I, think it's the layers of corporate BS that strip a lot of the soul out of it. Yeah, corporations taking the soul out of it has been the moral of 2023, has it not? <laughs> has no. it not been? It, it seems like this entire year has been the year of corporations stripping the soul out of it. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Where do we move from here? Well, I think it's time for Game of the Week. Game of the Week? Woo! I have one. All right. What do you have, Steve? I have a game that is uh, pay what you want. It's from a company called uh, Mega Kill Ultra Death Chokeslam Deluxe of. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's a mouthful. It is. It is. I'm sending you a link in the green room now. It is called Post Wake. I don't know if I said that yet. No, you hadn't. Post Wake, it's a tabletop RPG about people who have made mistakes. Each player dons the role of a traveling hero who has a malignant but powerful spirit trapped in their body. Each traveler's spirit is played by another person at the table. Over the course of the story, each traveler must come to terms with their internal counterpart or be overcome by it. This is kind of like my idea for the magic weapon played by the person across the table from That's me. what I thought, except instead of a magic weapon... You're playing one of the many voices in my head. <laughs> the night that Bubba went crazy. Which, <laughs> yeah, but also, if you took the night Bubba went crazy and put it on its head and told a really deep story about it, I think oh, you could yeah. have a really interesting tabletop RPG on your hands. No, this sounds cool. I think this, for being pay what you want, is very, very cool. So, and again, that is post-wake. Cool, cool. All right, let me write that down. Oh, my. All right, well, I have one as well. Or, well, it's not a game so much as it is a setting. Let me send you a link. My game of this week, it's actually a new alternate setting for uh, Blades in the Dark. Ooh. It's called The City of Red Waters, and it's written by Ash McAllen, but John Harper did the graphic design and layout for it. The you know original author of Blades in the Dark. And I bought it. <laughs> what it is, is essentially an alternate setting for Blades in the Dark that is heavily based on colonial era New Orleans. Yep. Yep. I already bought this. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's, you know, it's set in the city of Inverouge, which is a bustling colonial metropolis burdened with complex and unpleasant history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sits at the mouth of the River Sang, making a major port city for the mighty steamships that pass through it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's seven new heritages, seven new backgrounds, new system for vice and overindulgence, three new crew types. You know, it's, I mean, it even says uh, in the preview document, there's some hints that it is very clearly inspired by the city of New Orleans. Uh, but I know a lot of people who, who like Blades in the Dark, but don't particularly like Duskfall which is the, the kind of the default setting. So, I mean, look, New Orleans is kind of one of those things. It's a little bit like Vegas as far as for sitting like a TV show, because you can 
pull a lot of weird stuff out that, well, yeah, that would happen there. <laughs> this is a setting for Blades in the Dark makes me immeasurably excited. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. PDF is 52 pages, sets you back 10 bucks. Um, and this actually released about a week ago. Very, very, very freaking cool. But yeah, like I said, it's called The City of Red Waters, which, like I said, it just, it looks interesting to me. And I think, like, the the Blades in the Dark themes will play well, extremely well in a setting like this. So, yeah, Ghosts on the Cobblestone Streets, you know. Actually, the, the one line, it says, in the city of Red Waters, colonialism makes vampires of us all. So, Oh, man. Oh, damn it. Uh, what? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. I can't tell you. You're going to be one of the victims. I know. <laughs> oh, okay. It. I just know it. All right. Uh, that is awesome. Well, with all that being said, as always, links to everything are in our show notes. Facebook, if you can't, you know, if you can't support us on Patreon, we have a Patreon. If you can't support us or don't feel like it or, or you know, whatever, I get it. Money, you know, money's money. You don't have to throw me none of your money. I appreciate every dollar we get. We are officially listener supported, um, mm-hmm. which means that you guys keep us recording episodes mm-hmm. and and keep us hosted and and going and attending awesome cons and, and doing all the things. Mm-hmm. But we are officially listener supported. Um, we are appreciative to all you guys. And if you can't support us on Patreon, come join us on discord. And if you can't join us on discord, at least give us a like on Facebook. And if you can't (laughs) give us a like on Facebook, drop us a review on the thing you're listening to us on. Yeah. That would, that would be helpful too. Right. Anything. Right. Or just tell your friends you found a cool show to listen to with two idiots that just talk. Yeah. Be like, Hey, I listened to these two guys ramble on about tabletop RPGs for an hour ish each week. Do you want to hear them? The bigger the show gets, the better the show gets. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, we are coming up on the end of, of 2023. We're going to be moving to 2024, which is going to be what? Three years for us. We're well, I think it was three years in September, technically. Okay. So technically coming into four years for us. Yeah. We're in um, our fourth year currently. Yeah. Hey, we got cool stuff coming. I don't know. Uh, we don't know what it is yet, but it's coming. We don't know what it is yet, but we're always talking to people. We're always, you know, there's always new games coming out. There's always new Kickstarters. I'm excited, man. I'm excited for this next year. Um, with all that being said, I'm sorry for the hiccups. The holidays get kind of weird. I know yeah. we had a couple weeks there where we didn't release an episode. I was really sick. <laughs> Yeah, I was traveling and had family stuff. Yeah, and it's just been just been one of those, you know, life happens. But we're here. We're still here. We're still recording. And we're still making new content for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we do want to remind everyone, you know, be kind to one another. Get out there and play some tabletop RPGs. And, uh, yeah, take care, y'all. Yep, take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at me and Steve RPG at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another.
How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. I stole your catchphrase. Yes, you did. <laughs> I may leave that in too. Oh, go for it. Oh. <laughs>